0: All right. Um, I'm going to go through Romans uh, 13 this morning. And uh, Gary went through the first seven verses. I'm going to cover a few things on that uh, and then a kind of an outline. And then I'm going to actually finish the, the rest of the book this week as my goal. And then Ty's going to take over 14 next week um, for the next couple weeks. Um, anyway... Um, So let's look, uh, as Gary taught, verses 1 through 7 last week. I want to cover verses 8 through 14, and then um, we'll go from there. (laughs) Before we look at chapter uh, 13, 8 through 14, I do want to make a few comments about the first seven verses. uh, When you have different teachers, you have different observations. And so um, I I think it's important... uh, I go back to when Ty taught on chapter twelve. Um, he reminded us that chapters one through eleven of Romans uh, was what we call a theological section, and then chapters twelve through sixteen are what we call the, the practical section. Uh, and so, how do we live? We've learned what we've learned this theological lessons in chapters one through eleven, and then um, now, how do we live? It's also important to remember. This letter was written um, as a letter from start to finish. So there were no chapter breaks. So when we read these things, we have to read them as though they were a letter, uh, even though for our convenience. And so when Paul starts talking in chapter 12 uh, about certain things, he's continuing a thought that he had from the first 11 uh, chapters. And then uh, we also have to keep. Um, the context of the last five chapters uh, in line with the uh, with what we read now chapter twelve certainly makes a break there, uh, and um, Ty reminded us in chapter twelve and and I, I think and I've written it up here, chapters one through eleven, and then chapter twelve through sixteen under that, I think twelve through sixteen. Have to be understood in light of Romans 12, 1 and 2. That's what Paul's saying. And and you go back to 12, 1 and 2, and you'll notice here uh, he says uh, in chapter 12, I beseech you, therefore, and Ty was very uh, pointed in making the point that therefore looks back to what? What we've learned in the first 11 chapters, right? So the therefore in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, looks forward. And so in context, when we look at chapter 13, we need to look at it in light of chapter twelve, one and 2. When we look at chapter 14, we need to look at it in light of Romans 12, 1 and 2. So all of that is that big umbrella under that. And, and uh, we were given, uh, th- this book was written um, not just for theological instruction. If that's all we get out of this is theological instruction, we're no better than anybody else. It's, this isn't just Paul. It's not just giving us theological uh, teachings so that we can get our brains bigger. What he wants us to do is take those things that we learned in chapters 1 through 11 and apply them in chapters 12 through 16. And so that's why we'll see today. I'm going to break it down. Uh, and so if you look at Romans 12, 1 and 2 and you say to yourself, okay, what, how did, what is Paul teaching? It's obviously, he's teaching about government In in verses uh, 1 through 7, he's teaching us about how we treat each other. You'll see that in, I think, verses 8, 9, and 10. And then he's teaching us how we should live a holy life. So keep that in mind under the umbrella of chapter 12, 1 and 2, that all this falls under that. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. When? When you're dealing with the government. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. When you're dealing with each other, present your bodies a living sacrifice. When? when you're talking about your own holy life. And this is certainly going to play out in chapters 14 and 15. You'll see that same thought goes through how do we treat each other when it comes to differences about what do we eat and what do we, uh, different types of foods. And and Ty will get into that uh, in the next uh, few weeks. And so Paul makes this point of all what was given in the first chapters in view of God's mercy to us, and he says, we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and set apart unto God. And then he says, uh, it's your rational or reasonable service in, chapters in Romans 12 there. Um, it has the idea of spiritual worship. This is your response. What you've learned in chapters 12, uh, chapters 1 through 11, your spiritual response should be uh, spiritual worship. MacArthur says uh, in his commentary, the apostle is saying, that in light of the depths and riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God and his unsearchable judgments, and his ways are beyond finding out, chapters 11 and so on, including his immeasurable mercies that we've already received, chapters 1 through 11, that in light of that, we are to present God with uh, as our bodies as living sacrifices. Uh, holy and acceptable unto him. And so, again, this is all in context. But when we read these, again, we have to uh, keep them in context of what we thought. And so um, when you read chapters 12, uh, uh, verse 1, it's only reasonable and by implication uh, rational because of what God's given us in the first 11 chapters that we would present our bodies as Living sacrifices, and it's only rational that we would think differently about government, right? Than we would, uh, and we would think differently about each other, and we would think differently about how we live. And so Paul's got this big master plan uh, in light. So what the apostle Paul is saying to the church of Rome and to us, in view of of every situation in chapter twelve through sixteen. Um, that we are to look at this with a heart of humility and spiritual meekness because everything that we have and do has come completely and solely from God's mercy. If we didn't learn anything else in the first 11 chapters, learn this, that what we have, it's only because of God's grace and mercy. So with that in mind, how do we look at government? How do we treat each other? How do we live a holy life? What has God done for us? Everything, he says in Corinthians. What do you have that you haven't received? It's a rhetorical question. Nothing. And so, when we, um, uh, in, in fact, in chapter twelve, uh, verse three, it's interesting. Uh, and I talked about this. He says. Um, the very first thing he says after, after he makes his transition, I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think soberly as God has dealt with each one about your faith. So immediately he says, don't be arrogant, because what you've learned in chapters 1 through 11, humble yourselves, and then humble yourselves when? When you're dealing with government, humble yourselves when you're dealing with each other, and as you live holy lives. So... As I said, I've outlined Romans one thirteen 13 here, uh, verses 1 through 7, uh, our response to government, and then uh, verses 8 through 10, how should believers treat each other, and then verses 11 through 14, how should believers live a holy life. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, any any thoughts or questions on that before we, we move on? All right. All um, right. I just uh, want to make a couple uh, uh, points about what Gary made last week. Um, I was able to listen to his, um, his sermon or his lesson on, on tape last week, um, and he mentioned the word civil disobedience. Um, it, just in context, this, this, does anybody remember when Romans was written? We talked about it early on. When was Romans written? It was written from Corinth probably 57, 58, possibly 59 AD. So, who was the who was Pauls writing to the Romans? Who was the emperor of Rome in 57, 58, 59 AD? Nero, right? Right? Nero wasn't a nice man. Uh, in fact, he was Many think he was insane. And then probably by in 64, what's it, 64 AD, I think, Ty, they think he set the, the whole Rome on fire. So when Paul's writing these things, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, Nero is the governing authority. He's the one that's right there, the, the madman, as it were. And so um, uh, he, he, is, uh, he, he had a particular hatred for Christians. Uh, we know from history. And so this is the context that Paul writes the first seven verses. Um, I wonder what they thought when they were, came to this point of the letter. Can you imagine being sitting in a church, as it were, at a service, and they're reading verses chapters 1 through 11, chapter 12, and there's no chapter break. He's just reading this letter, and all of a sudden they, they start reading, oh, by the way, be a, uh, what does it say? Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Can you just only imagine what they thought when they first hear this? Well, Nero's the governor, right? Nero is in charge. And so uh, this was a radical change for them. Uh, and so that's the, that's the context that's written. Um, there are two times, Gary mentioned uh, civil disobedience last year or last week. Um, and there are, I think, two, two circumstances in the scriptures when civil disobedience is not only allowed, but I think it's required by us as, as citizens. Um, the, the first one would be uh, when uh, the government commands you to do something that's clearly forbidden. When government says to you, don't do this, don't do this, and the scripture says you should do this. Uh, the, probably the best example I can think of is in Exodus chapter 1, Uh, In the Old Testament, when the midwives were commanded to what? Kill the babies. Kill the baby boys. And what did the midwives say? We're not going to have this happen. It's not going to happen. And so there's a clear-cut case of where civil disobedience, where the government does not have the right to overrule God's word. Um, Probably uh, you can make the case for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3 where they said, we're not bowing down to Nebuchadnezzar. He's not our God. We'll have no God over us. And so when government says to you to do something, and the Bible forbids it, that's a time for civil disobedience. And again, I don't think it's just required, or it's allowed. I think it's required. I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to stand up for what they believed uh, as as their faith. And so... um, That's one time. Uh, And then um, the other example, the second example was for Christian disobedience. And when the uh, government commands you to do something that the Bible commands, just the opposite. When the Bible tells you, when the government says you can't do something and the Bible commands it. Uh, Gary mentioned this last week, I think, uh, Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 and 5 when the the Sanhedrin and the religious leader says, don't preach, and they said, we're going to preach. We're going to continue to preach God's word. And so there was a clear example. Uh, Peter says in Acts 5, we must obey God, what? Yeah, first or rather than man. And so uh, I I think that's two places where civil disobedience is is not only allowed but required uh, when you are... uh, when the government tells you to do something that God forbids or when the government tells you not to do something that God commands. And so um, anything uh, besides that. Uh, The other thing I want to mention, let's turn to 1 Timothy a minute, and this is probably the hardest thing for me, and I don't know if it's hard for you. Uh, We have, um, uh, look, we have some evil people in government. And there's evil people all over the world, uh, not just in the United States, but uh, there are people. And uh, Paul, the same apostle, he's writing to Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, these should be familiar verses to you. And he says, here is our response to government. I, therefore, or therefore, because of what we learned in chapter 1, exhort you, first of all, that supplications, that's intense prayers, and prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men, Uh, and then he goes on to clarify who that is, for kings and for all who have authority, that you may lead a quiet and peaceful life, and in all godliness and reverence, and it is our responsibility and our joy, I should say, to pray for our government officials, um, the ones that we think are absolutely even lunatics. It's our responsibility and joy to pray for them, pray that they would come to Christ, Uh, pray that there would be, we would be able to live a quiet and peaceful life uh, here on earth. So, again, I just wanted to kind of uh, touch up, kind of touch on what Gary talked about last week. Uh, any, Any thoughts or comments on that, Mike? Uh, no. Um, I don't know that for sure, Mike. I'd have to get back with you on that. Uh, anybody know the answer to that? What is it, Brian? I, I have that Claudius was the emperor before Nero from 41 to 54. 85. Okay, so that would make sense because fir- First Corinthians, is that 1 Corinthians? No, it was Acts. Oh, Acts, okay. Well, that would be 1 Corinthians then. <laughs> But, uh, that first Corinthians was written I think 54 55 AD and so that would make sense so he would, Claudius was before Nero yes so, mm-hmm. and I think he visited twice to Corinth on his second missionary trip also uh, he visited back to Corinth again and so he was in Corinth when he was writing Rome Yes, so we do know that. And, in fact, when Ty gets to Chapter 16, Aquila and Priscilla are mentioned there at the end of Romans 16 as part of the church at Rome. So, yes, so there was a a leadership change. Thank you. Uh, So that explains it. Tim? I understand that I, I think i think that's right i i, I looked at oh, i spent too much time i looked at daniel this week again you know daniel lived through some really bad people through nebuchadnezzar and then darius and the medes and the persians and really daniel was an obedient citizen under all of them and he was head of state uh, he was nothing in daniel but he tried to overthrow the government uh, he, he submitted to their authority and lived a quiet and peaceful life as much as possible. They threw him in the lion's den, of course. But, um, but yeah, so I do think it, that uh, as a Christian, we can pray that God would raise up one. Uh, Psalm 75, 6 and 7, promotion cometh not from the east or the west or from the south, but God is judge. He raises up one and puts down another. I think we could pray that, that God would change. Our government leaders here, and uh, that we would live a quiet and peaceful life is what uh, Paul says. So, anyway, there's a lot here, um, just kind of covering it. Mike, did you have something else? Okay. Hope that explains it. So, thank you, Brian, for your help. And who was that? MacArthur's notes or something? Or okay. By the way, we were on vacation last week. This has nothing to do with it. I, we went to two different hotels, and they both had Gideon Bibles in them. So I was glad to see that. So, all right. Um, the second topic here in Romans 13 is found in verses 8 through 12. Uh, let's look back at Romans 13, 8 through 12. Owe oh, no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves one another has fulfilled the law. And then it says, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all have summed up in this very saying, you should love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to his neighbor, therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So again, under Romans 12, 1 and 2, how do we renew our mind? We renew our mind when we're thinking about how we treat each other. How do we live? With others, not just believers, but unbelievers, Uh, and so, um, by the way, some have wrongly taught that uh, verse eight. There used to be a seminar going around years ago uh, where there was a a guy that would go around and he would use verse eight. It says, "Because uh, that you should owe no one anything." And his whole deal was, you never should take out a loan. You should never take out uh, borrow money, uh, and uh, and and so, anyway, um, really the Bible doesn't uh, give uh, commandments not to borrow. It gives instructions about how, what happens if you do borrow. Proverbs reminds us that the borrower is what? Slave to the lender. So there are some practical applications, but uh, this verse uh, isn't isn't to do that. Uh, the transition in thought is something of this kind. The um, uh, Charles Ellicott, in his commentary, he puts it like this. When you read the words, owe no man anything, he said, owe in this verse corresponds to that which is the dues in the last verse, or the taxes. The transition in thought is something of this kind. When you have paid all your other debts, taxes, and customs, and revenues, and whatever else you may owe, there is still one debt that is unpaid. That is the universal debt of love. Love must remain the root and spring of all your actions. No other law is needed besides this. And so, again, this is how how do we do this? We renew our minds. Our, our minds. This isn't the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. The natural man doesn't comprehend this. Uh, but Paul says. We have a duty and a responsibility to love. MacArthur says, completely apart from financial considerations or situations, all believers have the constant obligation to love one another. Uh, and it is, it is a high goal. It's a high calling. It's, a re, it's, it's part of being a believer. It's part of our DNA is to love uh, one another. Uh, this command to love one another is just not just for Christians. But uh, most of the commentators think that this is for our fellow man. Uh, Certainly it applies to Christians, but we should have this love for our fellow man. Uh, John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you should also love one another And then he says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The sign that the unbelieving world looks at the church and sees: how do we respond to each other? How are we interacting with each other? Are we kind to each other? Do we love each other? Do we care for each other? Do we sacrifice for each other? And and Paul is making that point here in Romans 12 or Romans 13. In light of renewing your mind, think differently than uh, than 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 they would have thought. Apparently, he thought there was a problem at Rome, right? Or he wouldn't have written this. And I think it's a problem that all of us need to uh, to ask ourselves. Um, it is uh, it is right and necessary for us to love and sacrifice uh, for the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, Kevin's been teaching from First John, and I don't think it can be more clear. Uh, certainly one of the things of the book is to love one another. Uh, Christian brothers and sisters are to have this deep care and love for one another. Um, First John 2.10, the one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Again, our DNA, Do we, are we loving each other? Are we kind to each other? Are we gentle to each other? That is part of what it means to be a Christian. Um, John, 1 John 4.10, these are powerful words. Who claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. It's impossible. You can't claim to love God and hate your brother and sister, according to John. For whoever does not love his brother and sister whom they have seen cannot possibly love God whom they have not seen. And so... um, this theme of loving one another, caring for one another, having the best for others is a theme that runs out throughout the, the New Testament for sure. And uh, it started with Jesus uh, and it continues on. Um, look back at, uh, at chapter 12, verses 14 through 17. Uh, Ty taught about this. He says, uh, chapter 12 of Romans, blessed Bless those that persecute you and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those that weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your minds on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own eyes. And then he says, Repay no one evil for evil, having uh, regard for good things in the sight of all men. If possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place for God's wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. So we see this theme that is written throughout the New Testament. And Paul was bringing it to the church at Rome, and he's bringing it to us, right? That this is, this is not only do we respond to government the right way, we respond to each other in a right way. And we care for each other in a right way. Um, MacArthur, commenting on these verses, says, uh, in chapter 13, he says, Godly love never turns its freedom into an opportunity of flesh. Godly love never turns its freedom into an opportunity of flesh. Godly love is forgiving. Godly love is characterized by humility, gentleness, and patience. And then he goes on to say, the greatest test of godly love is is its willingness to sacrifice its own needs and welfares for the needs of others. And so uh, in light of what uh, Paul is saying here and in light of what MacArthur is saying, uh, I, I think there's this command here that we are to love and care for one another in a way that is otherworldly, you might say, differently uh, than what others would say. Uh, the last phrase of verse 8 reads, He who loves has fulfilled the law. Um and uh, what what is the law? What what law would that be? The what? Yeah, uh, Jesus says to one of his disciples came up and they heard these. They were disputing with one another, and he answered. This is in John chapter or Mark chapter twelve. These are Jesus' words. Which commandment is the most important of all? When Jesus said, "The most important, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God." The Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind and strength. And then he says, "This the second. You know this. You should love your neighbor as yourself. There are no other commandments greater than these." And so, uh, when we read, when we read these words in chapter, in, what Paul writes uh, in Romans uh, chapter thirteen verse eight, when he says. Um, who he loves, another has fulfilled the law. That's what it means. It means that's that's how we fulfill the law. That is God's, as it were, Old Testament law and New Testament law, that we should have this higher regard, not just for each other, uh, but uh, not just for ourselves, but for each other. And then um, we... Uh, Also, Jesus, in fact, Jesus said to the uh, man that was asking the questions, he said, uh, you are not far from the kingdom of God uh, and uh, a reminder that uh, to us. So um, that that's that's what Paul wants us to see uh, in in here. Um, Turn back to Romans uh, chapter five. A minute with us with me. The reason we are to be loving people, and to be, uh, and Paul emphasizes this, is because of what we learned earlier in Romans chapter five, when he says, uh, "I therefore, um, chapter five, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ," and then he says uh, in verse uh, five. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out on our hearts because the Holy Spirit has given us. At our conversion, God's love is poured out. It converts us. That's what makes us new creations. And then he says, when you were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why can we love the unlovely? Why? It's a rhetorical. Because God loved us when we were unloving. We were, according to Ephesians, we were what? Children of wrath. God's wrath was upon us. And so if we've been transformed by the grace of God, then we have to transform the way that we act, the way that we uh, treat each other, Uh, Because God certainly treated us much more than having been justified by his blood. We've been saved from the wrath to come. We were children of wrath. He saved us from hell. And then he says this, for if when we were enemies, this is what we were before we were saved. You had nothing to do with it. You were born again by the grace of God. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. How much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. What's reconciled mean? To me, he made friends, right? He made friends. We were enemies with God, chapters 1 through 11. We were enemies with God. God reached down in his kindness and grace. He sent Jesus to die for us. He saved us, the undeserving children of wrath, and made us his friends. And so if we don't have a reaction to that, that thinks differently about how do we treat each other and how do we love each other, then there's something wrong, right, because of what we've learned here. And so he um, says uh, we were saved uh, from wrath to come. So anyway, I think it's pretty clear here uh, what Paul is trying to say. Um, the, uh, in verses 9 through 11, He says, for the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, these are all summed up, and namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What's Paul's point here? If you love your neighbor, what? What's Paul's point? You obey his commandments, you won't commit adultery right if you love your neighbor you won't commit adultery right you will not hurt or harm your neighbor by committing adultery or your your brother in Christ if you love your neighbor you will not murder right if you truly you will not be a murderer Cain was a murderer he did not love Abel you shall not steal if you love your brother if you have a care for your man, fellow man will you steal from him of course not you can't because you love them and then he goes on he says you shall not bear false witness. You have a chance to tell the truth. If you're in a court of law, if you if you hate somebody, you're going to probably lie. If you love your brother and you see it as Christ's command, God's command to love one another, you will not bear false witness. You shall not covet. If you love your brother. You won't look over and say, "Man, I wish I had that car. I wish I." I it's too bad that he got that promotion or she got that promotion. No. It's we will rejoice with one another instead of covet. And then he says, you shall, if there's any other commandment, all the other commandments are really summed up in this, right? If we love one another, we will not do these things. We will not commit adultery. We will not steal. We will not bear false witness. Uh, Verse 10 says, uh, love does no harm to a neighbor. Uh, Love is always seeking good. Uh, if we truly love others, we will seek to do them no harm. Um, we will love others. The golden rule is what? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And that's what Paul wants us to think. Be, have your minds transformed, transformed into thinking differently, not just about government but about each other. So, again, um, very practical i think here for me hopefully for you as we go through this uh, any thoughts or questions bob I think you're right. I think that's why when we see a baby being dumped somewhere, it should break our hearts, right, in, in Africa. Uh, we should have a love for the whole world. Um, and, again, this is a rhetorical question. Why were you born in the United States? Yeah, well, God's sovereign grace, right? Why were we born? Why were we born again unto a living hope? Because of God's sovereign grace. And so, with that in mind, Bob. Yes, I think you're right. It, I think our compassion, our love, our concern is not just for our, our immediately immediate. I think it should be brothers and sisters in Christ, but it should expand to the whole world. So, all right. Any other thoughts, Becky? And supporting others in the body. We're called to do that first. Sure. But still, the, the overall call is extended to all. We yeah, there is, a, it's, it's like your your family. You take, you, you feed your family first, right? Your children first, and the same as in the church. You take care of the church. You give your tithes and offerings to the church. That's the first priority. Paul's going to deal with that. Uh, I think it's, I think, it's, I think it's chapter 15 when he's taking a collection up for the, for the church in Jerusalem. Uh, and, and so we'll talk about Yes, yeah. so our, our, our command is to love. Yes, there's an immediate love, preferring one another. I think there's a, there's a sense in which we do that. Uh, but also we should have this c- compassion for the world. Why? Because we could have been there. We could have been born in Africa. We could have been born in Zimbabwe. We could have been born somewhere else. We could have... And God in his mercy has allowed us this. So, yeah. All right. Let's just look at the last three verses here. Verses 11 through 14. uh, How should a believer live? And uh, do this... uh, Let me... uh, Do this. Knowing that the time is high and awake out of your sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than for you first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, cast off the works of darkness... And let us put on the armor of light, let us walk in properly in the day, not in reveling in drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not out of strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So Paul breaks it down. How do we treat, how are we to think about the government? How do we think about each other? And each other, meaning every other mankind, as Bob pointed out. And then what do we do? How do we live as Christians? How do we as believers live? How does a believer live a holy life? Keep in mind here the context, again, is Romans 12, 1 and 2. Because of God's mercy, we are to present ourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, not conformed to this world. Uh, we have our minds transformed. It's a reasonable service. So we think differently when we're believers and we act differently. Uh, the Apostle Paul is saying to the early church uh, and us who are living in the last days, uh, I think the last days are from the time of Christ's crucifixion until he returns. That's what he's talking about here when he says the time uh, is now high, awake out of your sleep. Your salvation is nearer than when you first believed. Every day we're closer to either dying or being taken home uh, to Jesus with Jesus Christ. Every day is nearer. And so his point is here is to wake up, uh, be alert is, is what the idea is. Be wise and don't waste time. I think Paul is saying let's not waste time with trivial things here. Uh, many of us, including myself, can waste time and energy uh, we could be giving more things to the kingdom of God and to God's work, uh, and and, uh, and so it's a priority. Every day we're closer to dying, we're closer to Christ's return. Uh, either way, life's getting shorter. And then verse 12, he says, The night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore cast off the works of darkness. I think this is the same thing. Every day it's shorter. Every day life is shorter, shorter. Uh, In the big picture, if you, if, you're, if you die at a year old or at 101 years old, in eternity it's short, right? Life is really short in the big picture. And so Paul is saying here, uh, get on the ball. Uh, don't waste time here on earth. Uh, the night is far spent. Um, that's probably a reference to Christ's return coming closer and closer. Uh, the last phrase in that verse is the cast off and to put on. I would certainly think this is a reference to repentance and turn away from sin. Cast off what you're doing. Cast off those things that are not pleasing to Christ. Put off, as Paul says in Colossians, put off those things that are not pleasing to him. Cast off those deeds that are dark in your life or, uh, and bring them to pure light. And then uh, we read putting on the armor of light. Um, our minds should certainly bring us to what? What verses? Ephesians Ephesians 6, Tim taught on this a while ago. Ephesians 6, uh, 11 through 17. Put on the whole armor of God, right? Uh, put on the armor of light, the, the light, things that are good. And then uh, verses 13 and 14, I'll just close with this. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in reverie, drunkenness, lewdness, and lust, not in strife and in envy. Uh, sometimes people are very... Uh, connected with the doctrines of sovereign grace, are slow and reluctant to talk about duty, and this is our duty, right? Our duty is to put off these things, just put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, the uh, words here, um, the uh, Paul says, walk properly and honorably. Reverently means uh, not in drunkenness. Um, It doesn't take a lot of explanation. Uh, Lewdness means lust. Any form of sexual immorality, uh, including the promotion of sex things. uh, Paul says, put these things off. Uh, Strife and envy. MacArthur says this is a reference to persistent contentions and bickerings, petty disagreements that have no place with humility and love. Put off those things. And then in verse 13... The word envy has to do with jealousy, Um, Proverbs 27.4. Wrath is cruel and anger is overwhelming, but who can stand against jealousy? So Paul, as he's finishing up this letter, is saying act differently, think differently, not just with the government, act differently, think differently with each other, other men and women in this world, and also... Act differently yourself. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'll close with that. Any thoughts, comments, or questions, you can see me later. And uh, I think Ty's going to pick up chapter 14 next week. So thank you.